Hello and welcome back to Talk Commerce. I'm Jackie and today with me is Brent, our host. Brent, who do we have on the show today? Thanks, Jackie. Our guest today is Leslie Hensel, the co-founder of Riverbend Consulting in Mansfield, Texas. She's a well-known Amazon expert, author and speaker with over 20 years of experience in the field. That's great, Brent. Leslie has an impressive background. I'm looking forward to your conversation with her. What are some of the topics covered? Well, we learned about the challenges that Amazon sellers face and how Riverbend Consulting helps them overcome those challenges. It was helpful to get tips for new Amazon sellers just starting out. Those are great topics. I'm also curious to hear Leslie's thoughts on the future of Amazon selling and where she sees the industry headed in the next few years. Yes. That's definitely a topic that's on everyone's mind. It was interesting to hear Leslie's insights on that. Absolutely. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Make sure you check out our sponsors Hoofa Themes and Content Basis. Have you heard of the Hoofa Theme from Magento? It is a powerful yet intuitive theme that has been designed to help Magento store owners create the perfect online store. With the Hoofa Theme, you can create a store that is unique and engaging while taking advantage of the latest technology that will make your site blazing fast. The theme is built with a modern, responsive design that is optimized for maximum performance and usability. You can easily achieve Google Lighthouse scores of 10. It is also fully customizable, allowing you to adjust its look and feel to fit your brand. Overall, the Hoofa theme is the best choice for any Magento site. It is easy to set up and customize, and it provides powerful features to help you create a successful online store. Plus, it is designed to work seamlessly with your existing Magento store, so you can take advantage of its powerful features and tools. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a beautiful, engaging, and successful Magento site. Go to hyva.io to learn more. That's hyva.io, and tell them that Talk Commerce sent you. Are you interested in AI content generation, but you don't know where to start? Have you tried ChatGPT and found it doesn't work, or you don't even know what to do with the results? Have you had problems starting your marketing campaign or started and lost momentum? When was the last time you have a blog post live on your website? My friends at Content Basis have a fantastic offer for you. They use predictive analytics to find content opportunities that will perform on your website. They leverage those opportunities using machine learning and humans to create content that outperforms any other content you've seen before. They don't stop there. They have two human editors reviewing your content before it goes live. Once your content is live, they create 10 social posts on each of those content pages that was just launched. Finally, they work with you to see how those posts are performing and what they can do to add, change, or update the posts in the future. Content Basis is putting the human into your content marketing and your content automation. But don't take my word for it. Look at what Content Basis has been doing for talk commerce for the last four months. Content Basis is currently accepting beta candidates for WordPress, BigCommerce, and Shopify. Go to contentbasis.io. That's contentbasis.io and learn how you can create marketing strategies that work into the future.
My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Leslie Hensel. Leslie is the co-founder of Riverbend Consulting. Leslie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us one, your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Absolutely. So thanks so much for having me. As co-founder of Riverbend Consulting, I oversee our service team. And this is about 85 people who help Amazon sellers and vendors to solve problems. E-commerce is really messy. It's not as easy as just signing up an account and selling your stuff. There are problems that happen along the way. So that's what we're here to do is solve problems. So I am passionate about solving problems, but then my other passion in life is my family does volunteering and raising money for childhood cancer and related causes. So that has my heart when I'm not at work. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for that. Leslie, I know that you, I prepped you for my free joke project and you gladly, or not gladly, you reluctantly agreed to. uh, (laughs) All right. So I'm just going to tell you a joke and all you have to do is say, should this joke remain free on the internet, i.e. the free joke project, or can we, should somebody start charging for it? So here we go. An Englishman, a Spaniard, a Frenchman, and a German go to a club. The guy on stage asks if they can see him. They said, we, oh no. All right, we're going to do this over. We're going to do a second take because I completely blew it. It happens. (laughs) All right, we'll do it one more time. All right, go. An Englishman, a Spaniard, a Frenchman, and a German go into a club. The guy on stage asks if they can see him. They said, yes, we see ya. So I'm thinking that's a freebie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe the delivery. So everybody listening, I did edit out my 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 first delivery, which completely bombed. So it I don't give up my day job. That's the key here. All right, so let's get into some more interesting content and topics. Today we're going to talk about Amazon, and I think Amazon has changed the way people shop, obviously, and even in the last 10 years or however they've been prominent. And so tell us a little bit about, give us a highlight of your service and what you do. Sure. So we spend a lot of time with sellers who've actually been thrown off of Amazon. When people are upset with their Amazon purchases, so they complain, you delivered it late. It's in bad condition. It's not what I ordered. All of those can get the seller thrown off the platform. And then Amazon has a lot of its own arcane and difficult to follow rules as well. That can get them thrown off the platform. And more likely these days, just individual products get taken down for different problems. So when someone gets thrown off, they have to communicate with Amazon. Y'all can imagine how much fun that is. It's like the biggest government bureaucracy that's not in a government. It's a lot like going to the DMV to get your business reinstated. Very frustrating. So we act as interpreters. We have a lot of ex-Amazon employees on staff and help them to solve those problems and get back to making money. Do you see Amazon as the replacement for what eBay was? Because I, my wife ran an eBay business 15 years ago and had these exact same problems where she, she didn't get thrown off, but certainly those negative feed, that negative feedback can very much impact your business. 
So that's a, that is an excellent question. They're actually very different channels. Amazon has taken a lot of market share from eBay for new items, but there is still a place for eBay because Amazon is not a friendly place. You can sell used items there and collectibles, but it's not a good place to do that. The expectations from the buyer are so different. You don't want to go down that road. So as an example, sellers on Amazon will take stuff that's been damaged, return to them. The packaging is must up even if the item is still good. They move all that inventory and sell it over on eBay. I do that myself. And you'll even find like the New Balance store is a great example. They take some of the stuff that won't do well at their outlets and they sell it on eBay, but they're not putting that new stuff on their own store. Okay, that's good. I didn't know that. So tell us a little bit more about how Amazon can both help you as a seller and then some of the maybe some of the pitfalls that people fall into. So the amazing thing about Amazon, and see, I'm such a dichotomy when I'm talking about Amazon, because you'll hear these horror stories from me about how hard it can be, but then I will tell you, it is the greatest small business incubator in the history of the world. They have a built-in audience of hundreds of millions, literally, Prime subscribers. And these Prime subscribers, they are more likely to buy on Prime than to just search it up on Google and buy it somewhere else. So this built-in audience gives you an opportunity to market much less expensively because you're marketing via their platform instead of having your own Shopify store or even on eBay where it's more confusing because there's multiple ads for different product for the same product. So Amazon should really be a part of anyone's channel strategy, whether you are a selling out of my basement kind of gal, like I was for a long time and had eBay going and Amazon, or if you're a large brand, because there's just too much opportunity for the people who are looking at Amazon first. Then the drawback is you really have to understand the very specific rules. We have sellers, and it's funny you brought up eBay. We have sellers who come over from eBay and they treat Amazon like eBay. And it gets them in trouble because they don't realize how different those two platforms are. So you really have to go in with a full understanding of the differences in the rules and the expectations and think like an Amazon buyer, not like an eBay buyer. Can you explain what you mean by channel leakage? Absolutely. Okay, so this is a big one for brands and especially established brands. The way a lot of sellers get going on Amazon is through retail arbitrage and online arbitrage. That's a really fancy way of saying you go down to the Walmart, you find a product that's priced to 50% or less of what it's selling for on Amazon, you buy it, you take it home, you list it, you sell it to someone on Amazon, right? So that is a great example of channel leakage because you didn't buy that product from the manufacturer, you bought it from Walmart, and in some cases, products go through liquidators, products go through returns, and the more it's touched, the more people who touch that product, the worse shape it's in when it gets to the end user. The reason this matters is because it can make you look bad as a brand in the eyes of the buyer, even though you had nothing to do with the fact that it's in bad shape now. It just went through a lot of hands. So there are some great strategies for brands on Amazon to prevent leakage 
that hurts them in this way. Also, you don't want a lot of RA guys, retail arbitrage guys, on your Amazon listing because then if you are on the listing too, they could get it with coupons, get it on sale. They're cheap selling. They're undercutting you. You're not moving your inventory. That is also not good. So a lot of the folks that I work with, they will create Amazon-only offerings. They'll have online-only offerings too for other channels. So you have a special bundle. You have a special size. Whatever it is, it is a special deal that is only for Amazon. You ship that direct to the Amazon warehouse. People are only finding that on Amazon. No retail arbitrage guy can go grab product and list it against your product. And as long as you're controlling your price on Amazon, because you're the only guy who's producing that special bundle or product, no one's going to be able to undercut you. They're not going to get enough good enough deal to do retail arbitrage. So I know, for example, there's a household cleaning goods company. They sell things you would recognize. They've been a client many years. They have some great bundles and where they'll include a special, a truly special cleaning cloth, not just some random thing, but special for what the usage is of this product in a bundle that is only on Amazon and it prevents all of that mess from happening to them. That's interesting because I've seen, say, cameras. Cameras, would, you see a camera body, but then it's bundled with a lens and a and a, um, a tripod, all kinds of other items. So sometimes I look at those and I think, oh, yeah, this is a good deal, but it also helps the seller against the channel leakage. Does that help against the downward price pressure as well? Absolutely, and the camera guys are notorious for doing this, right, because... They'll have some deal with Canon, for example, that Canon will give them a blessing to do bundles. And then they'll put their store's branded camera bag and their store's branded wipey thing, right? And they make a bundle and then no one else can jump on that bundle. And they've got the money to do great pay-per-click advertising to boost themselves up above the other folks. Yeah, it can be really challenging. Think about whatever the hottest toy is that was scarce for a while. And then all of a sudden it's in stock everywhere, right? So there's all these retail arbitrage sellers who are left with 500 Tickle Me Elmos or whatever the heck. And so the price on Amazon drops and drops. And eventually they're selling it for a loss just to get rid of it because they're terrified they're going to have to call it back or destroy it. That's what happens when there's too many people on your listing. So when you can do something special, it protects you from that downward pricing pressure. And also people get deals on like liquidation they're not supposed to sell it on amazon but they do they'll get a deal on some liquidation inventory they pick up at some warehouse and undercut you by 50 percent and you're vulnerable if you're selling what everyone else sells is that where i see some specific item that i guess it would always be put into a bundle right because if it is below msrp or something like that or below some kind of threshold that the manufacturer has can the manufacturer then go back and pull that item? They flag it and Amazon pulls it if it's listed Amazon too low? Did, Amazon does not enforce map pricing, minimum advertised pricing for manufacturers, and they do not control the channel for manufacturers. In fact, they explicitly state in their terms of service that they will not enforce distribution on your products. So it's really up to the manufacturer and the brand owner to have some strategies to protect themselves. Amazon actually likes it when prices are lower than other platforms, especially if they're not the ones taking the hit 
to have the price lower if it's a third party seller or something they're passing on to a vendor. So they, they are never going to say, oh, golly, stop being so cheap. They want that. They want everyone to go to them first. I've had a number of interviews with uh, branding people and FBF, uh, fulfilled by Amazon people that say you need to create your own brand on Amazon to ensure that, n- n- number one, you're not competing against everybody out there, but you also are somewhat protecting yourself against Amazon also branding that same product as Amazon Basic. Is there a strategy around that makes sense? So private label selling to me is like getting up to the holy grail of selling on Amazon. Most people who start out on Amazon start out doing some kind of arbitrage because it's an easy entryway and you learn the ropes. Then step two, you're buying from a manufacturer, a distributor, a wholesaler, ideally direct from a manufacturer. This is also where there's great opportunities. Okay, this is my favorite tip ever for someone who wants to sell on Amazon or be more unique. There are business parks where you live. These are like the mixed-use developments, so they have warehouse. and There are small manufacturers in there that none of their products are online. They're selling traditionally. They're selling to distributors. They would love to be online. They don't want to do it. You tell them you'll get them up there, they'll make you a great deal. So that's like tier two is to get your products from people like that and to try and arrange exclusives. But the third and most attractive tier is branding your own products and selling private label for all the reasons that you listed. Also, what becomes really fun, if you do a great job at it, it becomes mailbox money. You still have to work it. You always have to improve your listings. You still have to play with your ad campaigns and work with your manufacturer. But a lot of the guys I know who do private label, they'll get one product up and eventually they're making pay profit a month. And then they launch another one. And eventually that one's making 3K a month. And you don't have to have very many of those to be making a really incredible living. And everything's on maintenance phase. So I think anything you can get into maintenance phase is super exciting. Whereas retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, and working working deals with distributors, you never get to that point. It's always looking for the new deal. Can you break down the phases? Is there a... There's like a launch phase, a maintenance. Can you just highlight what are those phases? Oh, for private label products? Yeah. Okay, so private label products, the most important thing is research at the beginning. A lot of the people that I know who have been really successful in this, they have a hobby, a special interest, something about their family, their kids, their adult parents that they help take care of. There's a need And there's some need for a product that doesn't exist or a product that could be so much better. A lot of the money is in the niches. And where you're getting started, you really need to pick a niche. You cannot compete against Folgers with your coffee, with your first private label product. You don't have the capital. So the first phase is research. You have to think of that niche and then use a software tool like a Jungle Scout or a Helium 10 to research Amazon and see if there's enough demand. They can tell you how many people are searching for your search terms, how many people look at these competing products. As part of research, look at competing products and see how good of a job they're doing. There's a lot of folks out there with really badly done listings, terrible listing photos, no good copy, bad keywords. You can take them on and crush them pretty well if you're willing to actually put the work in. So that's phase one. Two, you got to find a manufacturer. If we've learned anything over the last two years, 
It's that if you can find something near shore, that would be awesome. <laughs> there's a lot of great manufacturing in Mexico. There are, there's some good alternatives in having everything in Shenzhen is not a good idea anymore, y'all. But I know several people who are sourcing from Mexico, even the United States. So really look at all the alternatives. Don't just go for like the cheap China product number one right away and make assumptions you're going to get it on time. So then we get to actually launching the product on Amazon. And that is where you have to do quite a bit of research on your keywords using those software tools. You get a honeymoon period on Amazon, which is awesome. It's 60 to 90 days where Amazon treats every sale like, like it's your birthday. So if you get a sale on your first day you launch, they treat it like you got everything you do is perfect and they love you just like a honeymoon. So that's when you launch your PPC advertising and you get your social media posts out there and do some TikToks and all the marketing that's fun and creative you ever wanted to do and really focus on that honeymoon period. So you can get yourself to that maintenance phase, hopefully in a few months after that. All right, so maintenance is the last. Is there a dead phase? There must be a time when the product has just lived its life cycle and you phase it out? So to me, there's a few ways products can go. They can either be continual growth. Like I've known people in the game category, for example, they just keep growing because they get better and better marketing out there. And there's still so many households that don't have their game. And then there's people who just have hopefully a repeat audience that's buying slowly and continually. And then there's the ugly babies. So to me, the only dead phase is ugly babies. And I call them ugly babies because we all know, like everyone thinks their baby is beautiful, but we've all of us have seen a baby that looks like a plucked chicken. We know that not all babies are beautiful, but when you've spent your time and your money and your creativity developing a product, you could think it's the best thing since sliced bread, even if it won't sell. So if you've tried the growth phase and then nothing worked, you're not selling, and then you've hired some consultants, you hired a PPC guy because yours isn't working. You optimized your listing page, you created a video because yours not working and it's still not going anywhere or even worse, you're selling stuff and getting a lot of returns and bad reviews. Sometimes it takes a friend or a consultant to look at the data with you and say, I'm sorry, honey, but your baby is just really ugly and it's time to cut that sucker off. It's a plucked chicken. I like that. Is there some simple steps once they're there and maintenance or whatever that they can boost their margins on Amazon? Yes. And so this is where it can get really fun. Um, I love a few strategies that people think are weird that I'm telling you. I think they're fun. One is long tail keywords. Keywords can be so obvious. Long tail keywords is where you can really start refining your keywords and your ad campaigns because you're going after keywords that not that many other sellers are going after, but the beauty is they're very specific. So you can really grab a large share of that small audience. The more time you have on the platform, the more you play with the keywords, the more these long tails you find and your cost of sales, the cost of your ads drops and drops and drops. It gets really exciting because you can convert the same number of sales or better, but it gets cheaper and cheaper. So that's one to me, super fun thing is you're moving into maintenance and ongoing. You just have to keep working that because other people are working it all the time. You have then I think there's like a phase two where you really need to AB test your listing quality. So like we do listing optimization service at our company 
And not that you have to use my company or anyone else's company, but just as an example, we'll look at someone's listing. We analyze their keywords with fresh eye. We look at their images and say, okay, I don't see any dogs. I don't see any hot women and I don't see any babies. And when your lifestyle images have dogs, babies, and hot women, you sell more products, right? So these are the kinds of things that you can look for and improve and get someone else's advice because I bet most of you never would have thought of those three things as selling products, but I promise you they do. So you can improve your listings. You can add video also. There's still a first mover advantage with video on Amazon. Very exciting. They're starting to show previews of the video on mobile. So if you search something, it pops up the results. If you have a video or a product video or a brand video on your listing, it'll serve you up higher and actually start rolling that video. So there are so many little tweaks you can make that will pay off over time. And listing optimization, that's $600 service. Getting a video done, that's two grand. So these are things a lot of people wait to do once they're making money, but then is a two grand investment really that big of an investment? When you know you're making money and you can make more, it, it just, it's fun stuff then. Some of the buzzwords out there that maybe new users aren't quite familiar with would be the third-party logistics, so 3PL. What's a dip? Give us a, just to give us the highlight on 3P versus 1P on Amazon and what people should be looking at when they're doing their logistics. That is such a great question because... It is so confusing. So many of the terms are really close together. And also, y'all know, some terms are not Amazon specific, and then some are, and people get really confused. So 3PL refers to third-party logistics, meaning you have a company that is handling the distribution or the delivery of your products. So you've got someone that you ship them your inventory, maybe straight from the manufacturer. They might prep it for you and send it to Amazon, to the Amazon Fulfillment Center, or they might actually be directly fulfilling your orders to the customers. So then in an entirely other world on Amazon is 3P versus 1P. So 3P sellers are third-party sellers. That is 65%, believe it or not, of the orders of the things sold on Amazon are sold by 3P sellers. These are mom and pop businesses, brands, large companies that sell a whole lot of brands on behalf of the brands, and they are the seller of record. They may ship their inventory to an Amazon FBA or fulfilled by Amazon warehouse. They may pay for Amazon to fulfill that order, but that third-party seller, they are the seller of record and they own the inventory until it reaches the customer. The other side of selling on Amazon is called 1P. That's the vendor side. So that's about 35% of goods. That's where on the listing you'll see shipped by Amazon, sold by Amazon. That inventory technically belongs to Amazon, even though sometimes it is drop shipped by whoever the vendor is. And then some of it's actually in the Amazon warehouses. That stuff, think of it like when you go to a Walmart or a Target, some vendor sold the inventory on the shelves to Target sitting on the shelf. This is the exact same thing. It's all owned by Amazon. They are the seller of records. So there are brands that choose to be 1P and there are brands that choose to be 3P. And either way, you have your own special set of challenges. You mentioned drop shipping, and I interviewed somebody earlier in the year about how it's 
easy for, and I think that was his words, easy, that you can develop a strategy completely around dropshipping your product for third-party vendors. Do you recommend that strategy on Amazon? Oh, that that question is fraught with peril because different people mean different things by dropshipping. So if you're a third-party seller on Amazon, there's two ways you can dropship. One is that you have a formal dropshipping relationship with some kind of brand or distributor. So think of auto parts. Auto parts have a gajillion SKUs on every part. And so a third-party seller isn't going to have all that in stock. So they will take orders and then they get it dropshipped to buy these giant auto warehouse distribution places, but they have a formal relationship with them. That is good. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who will drop ship from Amazon as a third party seller, where what they're actually doing is shipping an item out from Target or Walmart or Amazon itself or some other retailer instead of actually carrying the inventory themselves. That is against policy on Amazon, and it is so against policy on Amazon that Amazon will hold your funds forever and ever. I've worked with several of these dropshippers who were suspended. We usually can't, sometimes we can get their accounts back depending on the circumstances. Usually our goal is to get them, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. I've known people who've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars that Amazon has kept because they were doing drop shipping. I'll tell you why. Amazon really doesn't like it when someone places an order on Amazon and then it arrives at their door in packaging from Sam's Club. And so then they look at the invoice or they look on Sam's Club and see it was 10 bucks less. And it makes them really angry that they bought it on Amazon, they overpaid by 10 bucks, and it didn't even come from the right place. It's confusing to the customer. Yeah, so I think those the, the Costco's and Sam's Club's I've seen are one of the places that you traditionally can't get a better deal on Amazon. I'm sure that's never there's always an there's always a case against that, but I suppose they all have their own branded products as well that make them hard to find the deal and I think Costco does a lot of specialty SKUs from a manufacturer that also makes it difficult to compete. So if somebody's wanting to get started, do you have a formula for somebody to get started on Amazon? Oh, goodness. Really, to get started, it's all about finding a great product and finding great sourcing. So that depends on where you live. You can use my business park strategy we talked about. There are people who do really well flipping product from, not from retail stores necessarily, but from outlet malls, from outlet stores, from these branded items that you're actually getting an invoice from that store. Find products that you care about. Find a manufacturer or a wholesaler who wants to work with you and give you favorable terms. That's really where you have to start is to be able to compete on some of these listings. Try and plan, do a test buy. So you test out with buying 10, 12 units a case. See if you can move it. See how long it takes. So you're not holding inventory for three months, four months. If those are ugly babies, move along. If not, buy more. Reinvest. The best kind of inventory is replenishment inventory. Yeah, so just to rephrase what you said earlier, you want to do your research. You want to find how you're going to get it. So manufacture or sourcing it. Want to launch it. Get into that honeymoon phase with 
Amazon, right? And then go into that maintenance phase. And then I guess the final thing would be, is it a plucked chicken? Is it an ugly baby? And do you want to, you're going to learn that by sitting on a bunch of inventory or stuff that doesn't sell. Leslie, we're easily, quickly burning up time here. Um, when, as I close out the podcast, I give my guests a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like. What would you like to plug today? So I would love to plug Riverbend, which is at riverbendconsulting.com. The most exciting thing about our website is we actually have forms you can fill out, but also a phone number that we answer the phone. Y'all, these days you can't find people who answer the phone. We do, and we love to talk to people about the challenges they have and see if we can help them. In addition to what I was talking about with the reinstatements, we do help with videos, with listing optimization, virtual assistant services, and reimbursements, which is where Amazon has lost or damaged your inventory and not reimbursed you for it. And we help you to get that money back. So please check us out at Riverbend Consulting or head on over to LinkedIn and put in Leslie Hensel. I have new content about Amazon all the time. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure I put all the links in the show notes. So, Leslie, thank you so much for being here. It's been a very informative conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.